This is the Airplane Geeks Podcast. We aim to educate and inform you, explore and expand your passion for aviation, and entertain you a little along the way. I'm Max Flight. Well, we're continuing our series of past guest interview replays while we're off for the summer of 2023. This time, you'll hear our conversation with Renee O'Shaughnessy. We spoke with her in episode 671 about pilot mental health. That episode was published on September 22nd, 2021. Renee was a commercial airline pilot for over 34 years with a Fortune 50 company. She was a captain on the Boeing 767 and logged over 10,000 hours of total heavy jet flight time. Her experience also includes the A300 and 310, as well as the Boeing 727 and the Boeing 747. Renee founded Piloting to Wellbeing, or P2W, with a mission to create awareness about pilot mental health and mental wellness in the aviation industry. P2W serves individuals, schools, and corporations that want to implement supportive and practical training, experience compassionate forums, and be part of creating a better aviation world. All right, here's our conversation. All right, again, we're speaking with Renee O'Shaughnessy. Renee, again, thanks for for coming on the show. We had kind of a long news segment there, so uh, it's about time we uh, focused in on your activities so this issue of pilot mental wellness, mental health, mental well-being, it's a somewhat touchy su- subject sometimes because, well, I'll let you explain why. Why, uh, wh- why do we not talk about it enough? Very good question or comment. Um, uh, let's be honest. Pilot mental health is not a popular subject to talk about. And it's um, – it, you know, it has a long history, you know, back from World War II, and the perception is that pilots have the right stuff. But I think it's really interesting, and and I talk about this in the book, that, you know, we use the word gut health, no one thinks twice about it. We talk about skin health, no one thinks twice about it. But the word mental health, when the two are put together— right away gives off this uh, stigma. And as far as the aviation is concerned, um, no one wants to think, no pilot wants to think that they don't have the right stuff. So mental health, um, well, let's just face it, you know, there's 264 million people that are suffering from depression in the United States. And according to the World Health Organization, half of those with depression around the world seek treatment. Um, Pilots are no different than the general population. And for the past uh, few years between 19, um, I'm sorry, 2016 and 2021, pilot mental health is finally getting the attention that it deserves. You know, we've had a Harvard study um, and we've had a study come out of Georgetown and all these studies point to mental health um, in the aviation community that no one's talking about. And the reason no one's talking about it is because, quite frankly, it would scare the hell out of the public. And number two, they really don't know what to do about it because we all know we have to take this physical every six months as as a captain. And you go down through this questionnaire and if you check off any of the above, anxiety, stress, depression, um, asthma, you know, that's your livelihood that 
you're seeing going down the drain. So what pilots do, they have this aversion from talking about mental health or physical health. So they either self-medicate and they don't medicate at all or and they go underground. So that's why people don't talk about mental health. I believe it's because of stigma, why we don't talk about it in the aviation community, because it could mean our livelihood. Commercial pilots experience a lot of stress, right? If you look at some of the rankings of, you know, what are the most stressful positions, pilots are way up there, aren't they? Yes. As a matter of fact, um, in the surveys that I talk about in the book, pilots rank up to about number three, between two and three of the, you know, highly stressed, high-performance careers that are out there. And, uh, you know, here, when I give my talks, I, I usually use a container. You know, pilots are great compartmentalizers, but no one's talking about when the compartment overflows. And we're no different than any other, you know, human being. You know, we have financial problems. We have divorces. We have naughty kids. We have teenage kids. We have elderly parents. You know, we have insomnia. We have alcohol use and abuse. You know, you know the list just goes on and on and on. Um, the difference is we can't talk freely about seeking treatments like other people can, other professions, and that has that has to change. Do you know what, too? I mean, we can't forget that, in general, the world does not treat, well, at least in the United States, does not treat mental health uh, with any kind of reverence. I mean, uh, you know, the, the guys know, I didn't mention, but my wife's a shrink, and, and the things that, that she comes home with, uh, you know, that, that people obviously outside of aviation have just as much trouble talking about their problems, not, not just in the therapy sense, but when people are significantly depressed, but also the fact that state governments all over the country for decades now have been, have been cutting funding for public uh, mental health issues. And, uh, you know, we see these, uh, uh, people that are, you know, question, boy, that guy's really strange, or that woman is very odd across the street, uh, walking in front of the cars, and why? What is she doing out here? Because they have no place to go, uh, and and it's it, it happens all too often, or or that they can't get their medications because it just they kind of fall through the cracks, and uh, it's it's a shame. But, of course, we're only talking about pilots right now. But, I mean, think about that. Uh, you know, Max and uh, I, I mean, if we're someplace uh, having lunch or something with a bunch of pilots, the last thing anybody would want to hear is, hey, when was the last time you saw a shrink? Uh, I, I mean, I can say, well, you know, this morning. because uh, yeah, you're married to one. <laughs> but I, I'm probably the only one that has a good excuse because people might not say anything, but they think, oh, my God, what is his problem? Uh, maybe we ought to just uh, switch to how's the weather or uh, because people also don't know the recipients of this kind of information don't know what to do with it um, because we, we, we put these people in a corner uh, in, in practically every walk of life. So I, I again, I, I applaud you for, for starting this whole thing because uh, you touched on something that I've, I've written about before that it's bad enough when you suffer from any of these mental illnesses. Don't you guys look at me. Don't be eyeballing me. I see you looking at me because I'm not paranoid. Uh, I'm not. No, but uh, 
It's and you bring people. up a really good point, Rob. You know, we see the homeless and, you know, back, not to get political, but back in the Reagan um, administration, they cut all funding to mental hospitals and where are these, you know, people going to go. But specifically swinging it back to aviation, you know, even before COVID, anxiety and depression were estimated to cost the global economy over $1 trillion dollars every year in lost productivity. And with the global awareness market folk, uh, forecasting to reach $66 billion by 2022, it's clear that organizations and airlines may be spending money on reactive programs rather than preventive education, i.e., you know, mental health awareness. So as far as the aviation community, uh, you know, is concerned, pilots specifically in ATC's controllers. You know, again, we're human and we suffer like anyone else, but we can't seek treatment without putting our livelihood at risk. And that's that's the tragedy. Um, So we need to go in there and start talking and making sure that we give the FAA the right data uh, because they know that you know, the questionnaire that we fill out as pilots every six months, you know, we're damned if we do and if we're damned if we don't. You know, if we if we expose um, that we're suffering from, I don't know, uh, insomnia, you know, insomnia, well, you've just tagged yourself and you might be, you might find yourself in your AME uh, tap dancing because he is bound by his license that if you start talking to him about stress, anxiety, depression, insomnia, use, abuse of alcohol, you know, his his hands are tied. He has to report it to the FAA. So what people do, what pilots do, they just don't expose it because they're in fear that they will be found out. And if they're found out, then they'll lose their medical. So... They struggle until they can't struggle anymore and something happens, whether in an incident or an accident, and then they have to come out. They have to tell their airline, they have to tell their FAA examiner, they have to tell their wife, their children, that they've been suffering with a mental health alcoholic condition. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll take me for an example. I struggle with anxiety, but I can fly a Cat 3 airplane, heavy Boeing jet down to minimums 50 feet on a slippery runway, crosswinds max, and not break a sweat. But you ask me to put a contact in my eye, and oh, I go through, I, I start hyperventilating, my palms get sweaty, I'm suffering from anxiety. Does that make me disabled? Absolutely not. So where does a pilot, where is the definition of, okay, she's suffering from anxiety. So should I claim that on my FAA medical and then I'm tagged for the rest of my career and put myself in a very awkward position of answering questions and perhaps losing my livelihood? No, I'm not going to do that. And neither is any other pilot that is suffering from any other type of either physical condition or mental health condition. 
And pilots are at another disadvantage as well. Uh, Many folks who are being treated for depression might be put on antidepressants. And up until recently, there were absolutely zero antidepressants, which one could take and still legally fly. You would would stop flying. Now, very recently, I think they've approved uh, one or two uh, drugs. Uh, but, you know, that, that means that people were kind of limited to talk therapy and things like that because they couldn't go on the meds. Otherwise, they'd automatically be off flying status. And you're absolutely right, uh, Max. It was in 2010 that the FAA finally went out public and said that they would rather have a pilot on medication that is being treated than uh not a pilot on medication. But here's the hook there. They only approved four. So if you're one of the individuals that can't take any of the four in which there are, you've just opened yourself up again to an examination or an evaluation. So pilots aren't going to take that step because it's a very big step. You know, once you open that door, there's no closing it. And you open that door and then you start going down that rabbit hole and you find out the first, let's say it's Prozac, you know, well, Prozac doesn't work for me. Let's try Zoloft. Well, Zoloft doesn't work for me. Let's try another one. And you go down through four and I've talked to many pilots that cannot take any of the four that are approved by the FAA. So where does that leave them? If they expose themselves now, again, they're in a position to lose their livelihood. So they take these antidepressant prescriptions that aren't one of the four, and they go underground. So, again, going to their first-class physical, do they claim it on their first-class physical? Not if they want to keep their job. Not if they want to keep their job. The other problem is if you're concealing something, then technically you're lying on a federal form, which exactly. is against the law as well. So you you have to be honest. You're, you're, you know, and what you're kind of saying is you're kind of damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't. And I just want to point out, you can't exclude things without the possibility of criminal penalty. Absolutely. And I, I use those words in the book, damned if you do and damned if you don't. But um, the fear of losing your medical is so much greater than suffering with the mental condition itself. Well, I mean, and, and look at the look at the situation we went through in uh, how many years ago was that when the guy uh, in Germany put that uh, that airplane into the mountains? German wings. That was about ten years ago. Gosh, was it that long? Oof. Uh, but but again, and there have been other. Uh, there was an Egyptian air out of uh, out of Kennedy many years ago uh, that they swore was. Uh, uh, suicide. There was the, uh, the the loss of the Malaysian airplane uh, some years ago uh, that they thought was suicide. And would could these have been prevented if if the pilots had had an option to deal with it legally? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But but again, as Renee said, I mean, once you even say, well, you know, I feel kind of I'm kind of sad or I'm kind of a anxiety. Whoa, they go, whoa, let's talk about this, baby. And how do I spell your name again? Uh, and what's your uh, pilot certificate number? And, and and you can play by the rules. But there have been a lot of situations in the world that people played by the rules and they still got screwed. And I doubt any pilot that makes a living flying is willing to bet that, oh, no, this time 
FAA or some other authority is going to do the right thing and they'll see what's going on. But Renee, one thing before I, I give up the mic, um, is there any research going on about something other than these four treatments? Uh, do we just not know about it or is it not even happening? No, the FAA is, is steady on on the four approved antidepressant drugs. Whether they're opening the door for more, there's no talk on that whatsoever. But they know that it's a problem, and um, and that's why people like me, advocates, are really calling for change. And so hopefully we can get the data to the right people in the FAA, and we could start having a conversation. You know, I don't have the answers, but the first step is definitely having a conversation around mental health and normalizing it, not taking the words mental health and attaching a stigma to it. Now, without question, we have come a long way since the 1950s in stigmatizing mental health, but we have a long way to go. Renee, how does piloting to well-being kind of fit into this context? Well, we believe that teaching um, organizations, pilots, airlines, pilots that are um, that are in airlines right now, and the new generation, a more holistic approach, sustaining a very high performance career is key to their mental health. Because as I, I pointed out before, there's eight core competencies of aviation, but no matter what kind of training you get, technical proficiency, and believe me, I've had the best that money can buy, unless you come to the job 100% whole, then you cannot give the best to the company or the organization. So if we start talking about mental health, well-being, and good health very early on when we have aviation students, then we'll start normalizing mental health. And in the book I talk about and in the well-being program that I offer in P2W, we offer pillars that support well-being, good health, and mental health. And that that includes um, teaching about nutrition, in some um, wellness, I'm sorry, a restoration and community and alcohol. I mean, those are four of the six pillars that, that we talk about. But I think uh, P2W really believes that starting at a young age and teaching aviators that there are pitfalls in this high-performance job that are well-documented um, – and starting the conversation and teaching them, giving them tools to put in their toolbox so they're able to recognize perhaps when they're suffering from insomnia or for de- from depression or anxiety or chronic stress, then they'll be w- much more well-equipped to be a safer pilot. You know, well-being is a, is a factor in safety performance and employers need to do more, to offer access, uh, more than access to gym and yogas. You know, they really need to support their staff, pilots, uh, through mental health awareness training. You know, and currently the regulators are not forcing airlines to do this, and it's driving pilots, you know, with well-being issues underground. So if we can get pilots at a very early age, 
in the top performing schools and offer them a curriculum that encompasses these well-being tools, then then that'll be the first step in creating a culture that recognizes that mental health is a normal thing and that we need just to have the right tools in our toolbox for um, to perform safely in our airplane. Is this awareness at the flight training level, the student level, is this something that's starting to happen or is this something that needs to happen? This is something that needs to happen. Again, there, uh, you know, flight, top flight schools are focused on technical training. Uh, as a 35-year airline veteran, uh, in looking from the inside out, I'm, I have a unique perspective on pilot mental health. And through hundreds and hundreds of conversations in and outside of the cockpit and working with researchers, I can tell you with certainty that unless we start introducing programs on mental health and well-being, we will never make the skies safer. You know, it doesn't matter how much technical training and how much money we throw at pilots because it really starts on a foundational level, how you meet the job, how you arrive at the job. If you arrive at the job and you're struggling with insomnia or depression, mild depression, or um, you're taking opioids, you know, you're, you're not meeting the job 100%. So how can you get out? How can an organization get a 100% technical proficiency from their employee if they come to the job only 50%. Does that make sense? It does. But I was going to say in terms of the flight training side, Max, um, if my uh, if my bride were here on the uh, radio with us, she would say, oh, right. And what's going to make a flight instructor or even a chief pilot at a 141 school qualified to to make that evaluation? They don't have that kind of training. And I don't mean that in, in, in a way that we're trying to make these people less professional than they are, but they simply haven't been trained for that. Uh, they, they don't necessarily know when they see a particular behavior what that might translate into. But that's just my sense. We're not going to train the trainer. We're going to train the individual. We're going to train the student to self-assess and to self-regulate. And that's really going to happen when you start adding it to the private ACS. If you look at the check ride that people have to follow now for a, a private check ride, there is a section on human factors, which uh, an examiner has to discuss with them during the oral portion of their private check ride. As I go through the list right here now, uh, most of these are things like hypoxia, hyperventilation. You get down to the very bottom and they're not even, uh, they're kind of added as extra ones. They don't have letters in front of them, which means I think they're not required. So the, the three items are regulations regarding use of alcohol and drugs effects of alcohol, drugs, and over-the-counter medications, and ADM, aeronautical decision-making. So I, I would think it's fair to say that there's absolutely nothing in the syllabus right now to become a private pilot that has anything to do with mental health. And that's probably the first step. You know, if we can add it to the syllabus, then there's going to be a requirement for instructors to become familiar with it and to start teaching it. And to have a conversation. 
have a conversation with it, and not that they're the police, but if we normalize mental health and we start talking about it in curriculum, or in my case, uh, the LMS in major airlines, you know, we we have uh, LMS and we talk about uh, the HIMSS program. Is anyone familiar with the HIMSS program? That's Human Intervention Management System. That's just a fancy word for if you're struggling struggling with alcohol, um, the airlines are obligated to send you to uh, a place, a professional place that you can get professional help for six months. And we have we have those kind of training modules in our recurrent training. But that's after the fact. Why are we not spending our money before the pilot hits the wall and we talk about the pitfalls and the insomnia and the in this chronic stress to give the pilot some tools in their toolbox that if they're drinking a six-pack beer before they're going to sleep at night, if they have this kind of a program next time they do you know their recurrent training, they could start questioning themselves, well, maybe I am. Maybe I'm drinking too much. Maybe I am an alcoholic. Maybe I am going down this rabbit hole. Maybe I should have someone give me an evaluation because, you know, my relationships are really bad right now. You know, I've lost all my money because I'm gambling online. You know, uh, I could tell you uh, story after story and stories that you would not believe that these are intelligent human beings that are well-educated and the stories just would break your heart how they have succumbed to you know, their their demise and just pick your poison, whether it's alcohol, whether it's opioids, whether it's sex addiction, you know, whether it's food addiction, whether it's insomnia, you know, the list just goes on and on. But the first step we have to learn how to normalize it, talk about it, and recognize that we may be that person that needs help. And then the second part is, where do we go to talk to someone without jeopardizing our career? Right now, there are barriers in place. Let current legislation does not make it easy for a pilot to seek treatment without being tagged. How did we ever get to a point where uh, airlines uh, decided that if a pilot, I guess, confessed or or something about an alcohol problem, that that well, okay, we, we don't want to see an accident. We we are we'll work with you. And and there have been quite a few pilots, I believe, that have been brought back from mm-hmm. from a drinking problem that that managed to keep flying the line. It's interesting that we only talked about alcohol. Like, like a, that's the only problem uh, an aviator could have. Uh, and the rest of the stuff, ooh, ooh, it's too scary. I mean, passengers wouldn't feel any better, I don't think, about uh, knowing their pilot was, uh, oh, he just used to be an alcoholic, but he's not anymore. Oh, fine, I'm I'm okay. But, boy, he better not be smoking any weed in the, in the cockpit or before flying because that's really bad. I, I guess I don't understand how we kind of got – part of the way into this and then seem to have just sort of stopped? Well, I think, and that's a really good question, Rob, really good question. I I think how we got halfway into this and it was okay is that 
uh, we deemed the aviation industry in, deemed, or I should say the medical industry deemed that alcoholism is a disease. It's a disease like cancer. It's a disease like diabetes. And if you have a disease, then we have an obligation to rehabilitate you. But an addiction is different. An addiction is different. Hmm. As as if you somehow chose it. Yeah. And it's your fault because you chose it. Right. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then we have the whole side of suicides. You know, I mean, I just talk about chronic stress, insomnia, and in the normal things. But then, you know, we have pilots that are suffering from PTSD and they have suicidal thoughts and they can't seek treatment because they're fearful of losing their livelihood. Renee, is your um, decision, I guess, to go down this, uh, this interesting path, this journey now that you're on, uh, did that come about just through an accumulation of things over the years, or was there a, uh, you know, one moment or one event or something that took you on this path? Good question, Max. Uh, while I was an active pilot, I uh, volunteered uh, at my local union, and they had many peer-to-peer programs that are very well-intentioned. Uh, the truth of it is I've, I've, I've heard some stories um, through those volunteer organizations, but mostly I heard stories in and outside of the cockpit going from L.A. to New York or around the world where pilots just wanted to talk to someone, another pilot, and they felt safe. So after accumulation of years and years and years of hearing this, these heartbreaking stories where pilots had no resources and they're struggling with with mental health health i decided that i needed to be the voice for the voiceless and so the the book that you've written is is the book out yet or it's almost out yeah tomorrow's launch here it is oh, right okay. here yeah, yeah 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 right here tomorrow's launch but it is on amazon so it is available um yeah and the audience, who who is the intended audience or what is the message that you're hoping to convey to who, to whom, I guess, uh, with the book? Well, definitely, you know, it's a wide variety. You know, there's the public. I want to I, I want to bring this to the public's attention because unless the public starts pushing government agencies, we will never have a change in in the legislation. So not that I'm saying every pilot has a diagnosable mental illness. That's not what I'm saying at all. In the book, the message is I want the public and regulators and policymakers and pilots and the curious to know that pilots struggle with mental health just like anyone else. And because of the regulations that are in place, they cannot seek treatment freely without putting their job at jeopardy. And that's available on Amazon? It is. And it's de- it is available on Amazon as we speak. And let's mention the title. Oh, yeah. The title is... This is your captain speaking, what you should know about your pilot's mental health. Fantastic. What's in the future for, for you? What, um, what, what will you be doing tomorrow or next week or next month? 
Mm. Well, I have no plans. I just retired September 1st from being an active um, 767 captain. And I have, uh, you know, I wrote the book over the past uh, year and a half, and I have P2W. So I have a lot of things in the pipeline, nothing that... um, that can't be, uh, you know, changed. But I'm talking with the FAA. I'm working with researchers. So I'm really excited about the future and, and what the future holds. Um, I think there's a lot of promise out there to change the regulation, but there's a lot of work to do. So I'm rolling out my sleeves and ready for the next stage. The next challenge, yeah. Are, are you getting some traction with the FAA? Have, have you? Uh, I am, yeah. very much, They're very being, much. Uh, Positive, responsive and positive to some of these things? Yes, I have uh, been in contact with them. Of course, I'm going to send some key players the book. Uh, but they know. They they know that there's a problem out there and they don't know what to do about it. So having an insider's perspective, I think they, they really appreciate it because nothing is working. They're, you know, I, I had a roundtable discussion earlier this morning with uh, a doctor that works for ICAO, and she was saying that they know that there's a problem out there. They're trying to destigmatize mental illness, uh, but that's not going to happen overnight. And the only way that we could start destigmatizing mental illness is starting the car is starting the conversation in aviation and not making it such a taboo subject. You know, we should be able to take care of our mental health the way we take care of our physical health. For sure. And the the website for piloting to well-being is, is just yes, that. Right? It's, it's piloting the number two well-being dot com. All right, Renee, are there any other resources or or things that um, you might suggest for uh, our audience who might be interested in exploring this in in more detail? Of course, besides visiting the website. Yeah, well, that's that's the sad part. You know, you can go on the FAA.gov and put in the search engine, you know, mental health, and they'll they'll give you a list of things that um, will disqualify you from your medical. But there's a lot of good resources there that basically you can read, um, and so I would I, I would encourage anyone that is interested in knowing what their limitations are or resources as they sit right now to go to faa.gov and then in the search engine put in mental health. All right, great. You know, I was just going to ask, Renee, when when you kind of came up with the book and and uh, P2W, and did you work with any mental health professionals that... Uh, I'm sorry, my wife would make me ask that. Uh, just, you know, because I'm just curious, actually. Yes, yes. Um, not only did I talk with hundreds and hundreds of pilots, I've talked to mental health uh, professionals that work specifically with aviators. Because I think that is really important. You know, I really respect the psychology field and the psychologists and the social workers and the psychiatrists. But if they are not, but if they're not really focused on on what a pilot really does and the obstacles and and the history behind uh, having the right stuff, um, mental health professionals are 
a good step, of course. It's it's better than nothing. But there are things that we can do as as individuals that before we get to, you know, that mental health professional that we could start, you know, shedding social media, we could start getting more sleep. You know, people ask me all the time, how did you navigate being an international airline pilot going through different time zones? You know, how, how did you do it? I said, number one, you know, I was very sexy or it was, you know, it was very, interesting and 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 just magical visiting all these countries and on the surface it was it was very exciting but to be quite honest with you it was very exhausting but sleep is my number one superpower i mean if pilots could just focus on their sleep just one thing at a time that could that that could really improve their mental health but yes to answer your question rob i did talk to many health professionals and experts in the field of mental health that are focused on uh, on aviators. And am I correct, piloting to well-being is uh, the, uh, the work of more than just yourself? Yes, I have a team of, uh, 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 of professional pilots. We have all, I think totally, we have over 90 years of um, being professional pilots, so we all bring something very unique to the table. And uh, we have created modules, and hopefully, you know, we're talking to some top aviation schools right now um, that are very interested in our services. One, because their students are struggling with anxiety and depression and stress and suicidal thoughts, so much that the psychologists on campuses can't take all the intakes. So they need some type of modules that students can reach out to to learn more about mental health on their own time in the middle of the night when they need to talk to someone. They'll have these modules that at least it's a start. It's a start in the conversation to destigmatize mental health because right now there's, there's not enough psychologists on campus for all the students. Really, really vitally important topic here, and uh, certainly there's a lot, a lot of things, a lot of work to be done. But uh, Renee Absolutely. O'Shaughnessy, we want to thank thank you for coming on the show and maybe making us a little bit more aware of some things that um, we should pay more attention to. So, thank you for that. Yes. My pleasure. Thanks, Renee. You're so welcome. Thank you for listening to this Airplane Geeks replay of our conversation with Renee O'Shaughnessy from episode 671. Renee's book is titled, This is Your Captain Speaking, What You Should Know About Your Pilot's Mental Health. The book's available on Amazon.com. It looks at stress, anxiety, the depression in the aviation community. And also be sure to check out her website at pilotingtowellbeing.com. That's piloting the number two, wellbeing.com. And of course, you can find that link in the show notes at airplanegeeks.com. Our email address is thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com. And if you'd like to get an invitation to our Slack listener team or our Discord server, write to us at that email address and we'll send you an invitation. We also have a PayPal donate button on the website if you'd like to support this podcast financially. You can make either a one-time or a recurring donation, and we really appreciate all of our donors. So please join us again next time as we talk aviation on the Airplane Geeks podcast. 
Bye, everybody.